Let us pray as we begin. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, what a couple of weeks that we have had. I don't know if I've seen so many bleary eyes here around church or around town before between the Cubs' exhilarating World Series run and a very late election night. And I'm not sure that I remember seeing so many highs and lows in the span of a week as I have in the last week. Tears of joy and tears of sorrow. People praying during a rain delay for a miracle in the 10th inning and people praying that their candidate would win or that the other candidate would lose or that none of them would win. Rallies in Grant Park and protests in Grant Park. People calling in sick because they were up all night partying or up all night scared about the future of our country. People feeling connected to total strangers giving hugs in the street and totally alienated by those on the other side of the aisle. Yes, it's been a week of contradictions. And if you're like me, it's been emotional for you just as you've interacted with other people and you're probably a little bit weary. I know you're not used to me speaking politics from the pulpit. It's not something that I do, but it's been such a historic time that I think it would be odd for me to not at least acknowledge it this morning and also to acknowledge how God might be using a time like this for the sake of our church. So let's be clear. For every euphoric clubs, Cubs fan, there was a despondent Cleveland fan. For every encouraged Republican, Republican there was a shattered Democrat. It's weak like, weeks like this that show us our unities and our divisions, our reductionistic tendencies, and our powerful affinities. This week has highlighted the forces that are currently very much at work to discourage us, to divide us, and even to divide our church as well, because we are not immune to such tensions here. In fact, the church can often incubate such tensions. So I went back and I read C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters this week, a book that I receive an inordinate amount of wisdom and perspective from in emotional times. Lewis's pens, if you don't know anything about this, this book, he, he pens a very realistic fictional letter between uh, two demons, minions of the evil one, in which they discuss ways in which they can thwart the work of God in the Christian, in the Christian life. These words popped out at me yet again. So inveterate is the Christian's appetite for heaven that our best method at this stage of attaching them to earth is to make them believe that earth can be turned into heaven at some future date by politics or eugenics or science or psychology, or whatnot. See, the deepest problem with the Western church, even more pointedly the evangelical church, is not the threat of liberalism or fundamentalism or terrorism or an attack on religious liberty or Christian values. No, our biggest problem is ourselves. Our deepest problem is forgetting who we are and why we're here and what our focus ought to be. Our deepest problem is that we lose our senses and forget our appetite for heaven and start replacing that appetite, that hope, with worldly hopes. Things like sports teams and political ideas, just to name a few. 
And I am not exempting myself from this. This is not a holier-than-thou speech. My favorite NBA team has started the season two and six. And the other night I was so frustrated that I punched my couch and I thought I hurt my hand for about 10 minutes. Now, if that's not an example of being overly attached to earthly things, then I don't know what would be. Me believing that the Timberwolves would, if they would just make the playoffs after 12 years of famine, that my life would somehow be better. That it would be heaven on earth somehow. I'm not trying to trivialize this. I'm not telling you to stop the way that you're feeling, to deny the emotions that you have. You are allowed to be euphorically excited about your baseball team. You are allowed to be deeply, deeply saddened about your candidate or a party losing an election. We ought not to minimize how we feel. And how you feel is okay. If you've been told otherwise, I'm here to tell you this morning, how you feel is okay. But if you rest in those emotions for too long without the reality of an ultimate hope taking over, reminding yourself of what you're actually hungry for, then you're losing the hope to which you were called by Christ himself. If you're still completely elated or totally despondent after Tuesday's result, election results five days later, if you are sure, absolutely sure, that nothing better is going to happen to you in the next year than the Cubs winning the World Series, if the realities of the world have you depressed or angry or boastful, all emotions that do not come from God, then let me lovingly tell you that this is exactly what our mortal enemy wants to exploit in us. He wants us to walk with our heads down in the newspaper and in our social media feed and cable news, always looking down on the earthly reality when we are called to live our lives with our eyes lifted up to the heavenly reality of Jesus Christ. When we put our hope in that which is earthly, we squander the hope of Christ. And the result of that loss of hope is not good for our church and it's not good for our witness. So as we close our sermon series on emotionally healthy spirituality, it seems there's no better week for us to ask what is the emotionally healthy thing for us to do right now? Because weeks like this often test our emotional health. How do we move forward in the midst of such swings of emotions and such obvious divisions, even in this place? What's the emotionally healthy response of Christ's followers and his church? Well, if we study church history... The church's response to compromise and crisis has consistently been one of new monastic movements. This is what the church has done. When the earthly focus was, was consuming the church, Christ followers have always headed to the abbeys and the monasteries in the desert, choosing a life of complete focus so that they can be unspoiled by the world, praying, fasting, resting, meditating on scripture. When the emperor made Christianity legal and easy in the Roman Empire in the 300s, men and women of faith fled to the desert in greater numbers than, than ever before to create alternative communities so that they could find a spot to truly focus on the love of God and set their eyes on heaven. Now for some of you that might sound kind of nice. We're tempted to, to leave it all behind, all the tensions behind, and head to the desert and just sort of separate, become separatists. 
But for the vast majority of us, the vast, vast majority of us Christ followers, this is not what we're called to. We're called to the world, the nation, the town that we live in, our neighborhoods, our streets. So instead, what if the local church, our church, became a monastery right here? A place where we bring in the practices of monastic life so that we can live our, live our lives with our eyes fixed on heaven and not down on earthly things. We've already talked about two of those practices, those monastic practices throughout the sermon series, the value of the daily office, which many of you have done through our devotional, and the value of Sabbath, resting so that we can love well. But the third practice is one that I'd like to introduce today as a way of closing our series, and that is to develop a rule of life. Develop a rule of life. What is a rule of life? It is a structure to guard our heart and keep us uh, with our eyes heavenward. It's a way to stay in God's presence. It's a way to develop a conscious plan for your spiritual life. And this is vital because if we're being honest, and I want you to really be honest with yourself, okay? Very few of us have a conscious plan for developing our spiritual life and staying centered in the love of God. Am I right? Most of us only have an unconscious plan for how to do this. I mean, if I attend church when it makes sense for me and, and pray for 10 minutes before I go to bed and crack a Bible open dutifully and pray before meals, then I hope everything's going to be okay. That's most of us. Most of us are just hoping that will happen to stay centered in the love of God without any real intentional plan to do so. So lest you think, think that this is, is some sort of scolding from your pastor, I speak as one who a year ago was barely, barely staying centered in the love of God. Eyes hopelessly earthbound, and I was floundering. The Greek word for rule, rule of life, rule, is the same word for trellis, the framework, that, that lattice work in the garden that helps a grapevine or a plant grow healthy and flourish. Well, a year ago, I was dying on the vine because I had no trellis, I had no framework. No rule for my own spiritual life. In John 15, Jesus says, I'm the vine and you are the branches, so remain in me. Well, I was an aimless shoot with no framework to remain in Christ. I was burning out. My spiritual fervor was waning. And my fears and insecurities were becoming increasingly the center of my life. Where only the love of God should be the center of my life. I knew I wasn't abiding very well. I wasn't remaining in Jesus very well, and so I asked the church about a possibility of a sabbatical which you graciously offered me. And on that sabbatical last February, the first book that I read was The Emotionally Healthy Leader by Peter Cesaro. It's partly why we're doing this sermon series. And that book absolutely ruined me. Every chapter was like someone pulling a splinter out of my finger. I knew, that it, I knew that they were doing it to help me, but boy, did it sting. Everything stopped. The second chapter encouraged me to develop a rule of life, which I diligently did, and I began to truly use it. And when I did, it was as if my heart was finally echoing those words in Psalm 27. One thing of, I ask of the Lord, and this do I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life 
to gaze upon his beauty and to seek him in his temple. One thing I ask, one thing I ask. Not that the Timberwolves finally make the playoffs. Not that the election night goes the way that I want it to go. No, only, Lord, that I might be with you and gaze upon your beauty and seek you and find you. That's it. That's what my life is about. My eyes, Lord, are fixed on you. That's what the rule of life has done for me, a simple tool. Christians have been doing it since the third century, so as you embark in this this morning, you are in good, well-tested company. So if, if you take out the insert in your bulletin, I'd like to actually this morning begin to create a rule of life, and I'm actually going to give you some moments to do this yourself. Imagine the power of if everyone in this community had a rule of life and was living it, intentionally using conscious guidelines so that we can communally stay centered in the love of God. I want you to look at the first question on the left side of that sheet. There should be some pencils in the pews. If not, I, I know there are some pencils over here if an usher wants to maybe grab that box of golf pencils and, and make sure if anybody needs one, you can just raise a hand. Maybe you've got a pen and a purse or something like that. That's fine too. But look at those first two questions on the left side. Don't worry about the matrix on the right side yet. I want you just off the top of your head to think through those first two questions and just write down a couple things. What are some things you currently do to nurture your soul? Think about your life. What are some of the things that you're already doing that really nurture your soul? Maybe you just want to write down four or five of those things. They don't have to be inherently spiritual things. It doesn't have to be about reading your Bible at this point, uh, though I hope that many of you might have that. What are some things that currently you're doing that nurture your soul? And then once you're done with that, I want you to look at the second question. What are some things that you could do to nurture your soul that you're not currently doing? Okay? I'm not going to ask you to complete this this morning, but I'm going to give you a little time of silence just to jot down a few things, and I'll tell you what we're going to do next. a couple more seconds. And again, you're welcome to take this home and fill it out much more. In fact, I'm going to encourage you to do that. And now what I want you to do is, is take a look at that matrix. And I've got four categories. Different rules of life have categories named a little differently but this is the one that makes sense to me. If you think about those things that you're currently doing that are life-giving or the things that you want to be doing or you're not doing right now but you know would be life-giving, I think they should fit under these four categories. Prayer. Now, that's not just prayer. That's also our devotion life, our scripture life. 
our relationships, resting, and working. And I want you to start to transfer some of the things that you've written into some of those categories. Prayer, relationships, rest, and work. And as you transfer those over, you might notice that one category is quite full while others are empty. <laughs> that means that your trellis is unbalanced and that you need to come up with some new rules for the areas that are deficient. I want to share, I, I'm, I'm putting my rule of life up here for you. You might be overwhelmed by this, going, you didn't give us enough time. Well, this was a number of different times over and over again, kind of going through things. This has been edited on a every other week basis since February, okay? But I just want to point out what some of mine are. You can see that some of them are practical and some are a little higher level. Like in prayer, I have weekly Sabbath. I recognized as I was filling this out for the first time that I never took weekly Sabbath all that seriously. I liked the idea of it, but I wasn't doing it very well. So if you've been very frustrated when you come in on a Friday and you don't find me and you can't catch me on my phone and I'm not answering your emails, it's because I'm on Sabbath. Friday is my Sabbath day. And I take that seriously. One of the other things that was important to me are the last two there. Pray on the spot and pray for decisions. Pray on the spot means that if some, one of you comes up to me and says, uh, you know, I ask you, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. Yeah, you can just pray for me. This thing's going on in my life. Instead of saying, oh, yeah, okay, I'll add that to my journal, you may have noticed what I do is I go, let's do that right now. And some of you might have been in Corner Bakery going, whoa, okay, right now? Here we go. All right, let's pray. But I know about myself that if I don't do that, there's a decent chance it might not make it into my prayer journal because I'm not that organized. <laughs> So praying on the spot has been an important thing for me. And then whenever I have decisions in my life, big or small, to really take time to pray was something I got serious about. Relationships. The first thing on there was intentional time with Katie and, and intentional emotional time with my kids on a daily basis. You'll notice that I put guys retreat once a year, retreat with the guys once a year. I'm faithfully living that out. That's where I was last week. Um, with my three best buddies from college sharing in life and praying together and doing some really great karaoke. It is very life-giving for me. You'll see under rest, I've got exercise on there. One of the things that's part of my rest, it might not be yours, is listening to great music. That took a while for me to get to. That I realized at this stage of my life, I don't just sit down and turn the music up really loud and listen to it. Now I've got a chair that's right by our speaker <laughs> in our house. And after dinner, I say, I'm going to go sit and I'm going to listen to some music. Very important to me. Important to my soul. Important for me staying in the love of God. And in work, you can see caring for my colleagues and giving back denominationally. These are important things to me that keep a balance in my life and keep me in the love of God. I'm going to invite you to take this home and to begin to transfer some of these things over and try and find a balance that allows you to stay in the love of God. Many of you are going to want to pour over this further and spend time asking God to help you fill this out. God, where am I deficient? God, what do I need to be doing? And I want you to know that this is a fluid document that should change as life changes. Mine, uh, like I said, has been ed edited numerous times, um, but I want you to know that I keep it in a very intentional place. It's in my notebook. It's right here. This is the notebook that I go to every day for my devotions and my time with God. And I see this every day. And I check in on a weekly basis and go, how am I doing? Not so good there. Things have become unbalanced here. Here's some things 
I need to add. But let me ask you, with this beginning of a document in your hand, (laughs) do you feel like you're walking away this morning with a better plan for your spiritual life than when you arrived this morning? Anybody feel that way? At least the beginning of that? Praise God. Praise God. What a gift it is to have a plan to stay in the love of God because the reality is when we are not intentional about staying in the love of God, we will not stay in the love of God because we will have something that is a rule of life. We will live by something that is centering our lives. I choose, particularly in this time in our country, in our world, and in our church, I choose the love of God as the best, most faithful thing to center and govern my life. And if you agree with that statement, above anything that this world can offer, above centering my life around a sports team or a political idea or anything else, if you believe that the love of God is the best place to center your life, then I'm going to invite you to live by this rule of life, this trellis, to keep us in the love of God. Let's pray. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for the times when we fail to seek you. Forgive us for the times where we put our earthly focus at the center of our life instead of our heavenly focus in you. Lord, I would ask that you would use this rule of life for us to keep us in your love, to keep our focus where it ought to be. And Lord, for those who sit in the pew this morning and need a reality check, need a reminder of the hope to which you've called them, I pray that you would lovingly give that to them. And that you would allow us to use this tool so that we might remain in you, we might abide in you. And we together, as your children say, there's no better place for us to be than in a place where your your love and your grace and your goodness is at the center of our lives, feeding all that we do. May it be so for the sake of our own hearts, for the sake of this church, and for the sake of your world, I pray in your name. Amen.